Welcome to Procurement Reimagined, a podcast by Gatekeeper. We believe traditional procurement has had its day, the world is changing, and our industry needs to change with it. On the podcast, we share the best practices to help you streamline your procurement processes, navigate vendor onboarding, and ultimately get the most value out of your vendor contracts. I'm your host, Daniel Barnes. Tom, before we get going, and uh, I don't think I've ever asked you too much detail, actually, about what your specific role is. But could you explain to me, as though I'm a five-year-old, which I know you love to do anyway to me, <laughs> what your role is? Yeah, so if I was explaining to a five-year-old, I'd say you're going into a shop and you're with your mum and dad. And there's a toy that you want to buy. And you can see you've got five pounds in your pocket, but you can see the toy is four ninety nine, And you think, oh, great, I can afford that toy. And what procurement is putting a double check in to check actually are there other shops which are selling that toy for cheaper or other toys which will deliver a better experience for you so it's almost taking that pause to say how do you get the best value out of your five pounds so realistically i'm there to make sure that you're getting the best value from your spend yeah that's great i was doing that a lot over the last few days whilst i was on leave with my kids and the three pound squidgy toy has already been destroyed in a matter of two days so perhaps i should have given him a bit of a nudge to say get that better one as part of your role tom i'm very conscious to ask this question from my contract management background as well some procurement teams just focus on sourcing is that the primary focus of your role or is it a wider role are you looking at risk esg contract management relationship management like how are you approaching that great question because I came in to my role just over two years ago to effectively set up procurement from scratch. So we're on a kind of maturity journey. So originally, kind of first year, it was right, bring in the policies, make sure that we've got good contract control, deliver some savings because that was necessary for the business at the time. More recently, my role has morphed into a more, okay, we've got some big new investments that we're about to make as a business. How do I make sure that I'm delivering the best bang for buck for the project portfolio? So that's a transition. But also through the work that we've done in the contract space, we've identified that we do have a real need for developing a supplier relationship management framework and for delivering a risk framework. So we've started to embed things like really good processes with things like info security, data privacy, etc. And we're also beginning to amount ESG objectives into everything that we do. And we're working on that journey with the business in terms of what does that look like. So I know that's not a definite answer, Daniel, because the truth is there's a kind of curve. Well, maybe it's not a curve, maybe it's a straight line, but we established procurement, we've laid the foundations, we've embedded it, and now we're developing it. It's all those things that you're talking about. And actually doing so with resource constraints as well, because we don't want to grow too fat as a team. We want to be agile and we want to be lean and we want to be efficient, but it's working with the business to establish, right, what's the most important and what do we need? It's exciting, though. really exciting. I agree. No, it's super interesting. And I kind of always think of this as a stairway approach. So like the base step, right, is your initial policies and processes, because normally you find that they change, right, after maybe even six months or 12 months, like my last two roles, stepping up contract management functions, commercial teams. Yeah, it's crazy to see how quickly things can change. Like you can set something up and just a few months later, you're like, we're already scaling out of there. But yeah, no, nice to hear that you're looking the complete life cycle, right? And the reason I ask that is when I see people talking about procurement, at times they are often just talking about sourcing, almost the procure to pay. I know that like terminology gets thrown around quite a lot. 
But we are going to be talking about sourcing today. And I'm actually really excited, Tom, because I think you are the first person on Procurement Reimagined who is going to talk about sourcing. So perhaps I will try to set this up from my angle here of I want to kind of talk about because a month ago, you wrote a really thought provoking post on LinkedIn. Does that mean controversial? Well, controversy could be part of it. I don't think so. And uh, we were just talking about this beforehand. And perhaps I'll share some thoughts. But in short, you mentioned that procurement should not procurement professionals when evaluating specific suppliers or vendors that have come through to your business as part of some sort of I'm just going to say RFX process here, just to keep it nice and open. Procurement people should not be part of the scoring. And what we saw as a response was some people 100% agreeing with you, some people kind of agreeing with you, some people in complete dismay and disagreeing with you. And what we were just talking about before we went live was that this maybe is illustrating the inconsistencies that live in procurement, right? And I think sourcing is a really good one. So, what we're going to try and do as part of this conversation, is sort of reimagined this way. And perhaps it is that sourcing needs to have a bit more consistency. But Tom, I just kind of wanted to pass it over to you, maybe to share your thoughts around this. I might ask some silly questions, some challenging questions, and we'll see what we go here. Because yeah, I really like this post. Okay, I'll lay the foundations. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the word Um, consistency because I think there is an inconsistent approach within procurement and I think that's maybe because fundamentally people misunderstand the role and the reason this scoring element is a key one for me is I'm a firm believer that procurement's role is to secure an objective process which enables the stakeholders to buy effectively and to make the best decision. To do that you have to create a segregation of duties, you have to be effectively managing the process, enabling the teams to have the right materials, questions, requirements gathering, etc., to be able to make conscious decision around the purchasing decision. But you, in procurement, you're not ultimately going to be the end user of the product. Unless you're buying your own system, a P2P system or something, you're not the end user. So you shouldn't have a vested interest in actually scoring the quality of the vendor. You're there to manage the process and to manage the evaluation panel and to make sure it's done consistently and transparently. You're not there to input your own view on it because then you're becoming confusing the interests of the business versus your own interest, if that makes sense. There are other layers to it, but that's the fundamental principle. It makes sense for sure. And I'm going to play devil's advocate here for sure. And this is always good fun when we talk. So I've got a few questions or a few points and I'd just be super interested here and I'm going to try and remain super objective here and perhaps this leads into my first question of the vested interest point. So the end user has a vested interest in the product. Is there potentially a role to play in procurement scoring as an objective party there? So because they don't have an interest and maybe I take this a layer back, what I'm always concerned with and I've seen this happen before is certain requesters will say oh, we want to go with X supplier. We really like the look of them. And we just want a single source. We want to just go straight out to them. But there's sometimes a place for that. Sometimes there isn't. I don't want to get too much into that piece right now. But if we are competing and we bring others into the party, let's say, my concern would be that they may still want to favor the scoring for that other supplier. So 
But the only other thing was, and I'm slightly going to caveat this point is, I, I appreciate where we can get around this somewhat with the scoring mechanisms and the evaluation criteria and things like that. I'm still concerned that this could happen somewhat. So I just want to hand that over with that point to start with, just to get your thoughts there. Yeah, but I guess, isn't that the key point of a procurement role to make sure that you do layer in that objectivity and that you do challenge the stakeholders on the scoring? So one of the things that I make sure happens in a evaluation panel is if I can see that there's obvious bias in the answers to the questions we'll have an actual discussion around those so when there's inconsistency in scoring Gilman's role is to make sure that you challenge those scores and make sure that they've been evaluated correctly and the other thing is of course and you alluded to the point around what if the business just wants to go with one supplier now ultimately I don't think it's procurement's role to tell a function who they should work with. It's procurement's role to point out the risks of the decision that they make and to make sure that they make an enlightened decision around who they choose. So it could well be that, you know, I've witnessed many situations where I thought, you know what, I wouldn't have chosen that vendor. But then there's a clear kind of segregation of duty again, because I'm thinking, right, have I accurately spelled out the risk? Have I accurately spelled out the concerns? And are they aware of all the facts before making that decision and then I create a paper trail around it and that might sound like covering my back but I'll be very clear to say here's the risk doing this decision but you know ultimately your decision and I think that's the difference and I think I wonder if sometimes whether procurement I don't know it might be harsh but I wonder if there's a bit of ego involved in terms of procurement a lot of procurement individuals have elevated themselves from being buyers themselves so my original experience was in buying where you own the decision and you really like the kind of power and stuff and i wonder whether some procurement individuals just failed to separate themselves from that um strip out ego from procurement and you will be absolutely legendary i'm telling you that's the difference so really important there's so much to follow up on here which is super interesting i really like your point there i like both points that you made in terms of the role of procurement it feels like we can easily sidestep the need to score because we can build it into the sourcing process or the actual documentation, however it is you're, you're going about it. I just want to follow up on, on two things. Maybe I'll take the easy one first off. Is your comment there just around the buy-in element is super interesting. It just got me thinking that, yeah, it's like some buyers, they're absolutely empowered, aren't they, right? You, like, you just own it. Like I can remember when I was a buyer, I did it for like, I only did it for six months. I absolutely hated it. Like, yeah, I couldn't stand it. Like I was buying like 3D printers, like really cool stuff, like really, really interesting pieces. I didn't like the company I was at. It was a atomic weapons establishment, very old way of working. It's a really wonderful place. I just couldn't do it. But like, I can remember then I was super empowered. Now I went back into defense where the end user fundamentally is more empowered. And you do just kind of have to coax them along and get it right. And maybe this leads on to the next point that you just made which was around procurement's role there. So fundamentally, we've got the end user. It's their choice about who they use. We shouldn't be stating whether they should go out to competition if they want to single source. Just on that point alone, do you think that's the norm in procurement as professionals? I don't think it's the norm, actually. I've seen a lot of instances where that doesn't happen. But I think where you can be most effective in procurement is by taking that kind of disassociated role. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a strong influence and you shouldn't be making sure that you escalate risk it doesn't mean that you're a passenger in the decisions it means that you know ultimately that's where building credibility is key with stakeholders because over time as a business builds trust in your process and trust in your knowledge and trust in your expertise they'll learn more to appreciate and to listen to 
your advice. And then that means you're more effective. What I love about procurement, it's the psychology element because it's the influence builds over time. It builds through credibility and experience. And that doesn't mean the business is going to get everything right. And I think for me, if you are able to disassociate yourself too, it really helps with things like the stress and the pressure and the kind of burnout factor that I talk about a lot. Because I think it was only a few years ago, to be fair, that a lawyer told me that they said, look, if you know that you've done everything you can to spell out the risk and you've documented those and you've followed the right process, then your work here is done kind of thing. Because ultimately you can't control it. Don't focus on what you can't control. No, when you were talking about that role of procurement within that sourcing process, my immediate thoughts went to how legal counsel operate within a business. So legal counsel will make recommendations. They will what they think the business should do. They have some other obligations under the SRA, say within the UK, that say they have to act in a set way and they will at times need to stand against what the company states they may want to do if it's illegal. So I just want to caveat that. But in short, they will do exactly what you've said. They will show what the risks are. They will highlight them. They will do everything in their power to mitigate those. And this is what I often have found myself doing in my contract management roles as well. And there is something to be said for that approach. It may take time to get it right. And I think that's a really good point that you've made there because there will be mistakes if you let the business have, I almost don't want to say let the business have, but if you align with the business and put more emphasis on them with the sourcing decisions, instead of trying to hold it in a silo and say, well, this is how we do things here, there will be mistakes. And you know what, as well, when those mistakes happen, I mean, I've come across some big ones in my time whereby you can almost point to those mistakes to help justify your need for involvement in future RFPs. So I know that might not sound optimal because you want to get everything right, but I think it's just part of business is that you're not going to get every decision right. And there are going to be some times when the business spends money in the wrong way. But over time, you grow your influence such that there's less bad decisions, there's more good decisions, and your value spreads and your credibility grows. And God, I love procurement, Daniel. For people listening here, just before we uh, jumped on live, I was saying to Tom, like sourcing has never been like the biggest focus of my roles, maybe in the very early days, which was only like six or seven years ago. So not even that long ago. But so I've seen very mixed approaches to sourcing. And I've been in a lot of organizations where the approach has been procurement absolutely does everything and they tell the business what to do. And then we've got this opposite approach, which is the one that you've effectively just shared, Tom, which is we want the business to be a really almost prime position in that sourcing decision, even maybe even finding the suppliers or recommending suppliers. And we know like in the tech space, financial services space, software, that happens a lot. Like these, the end user, almost hate that terminology, but let's just use this one to use the requester in the business, your colleague, they're probably very experienced and they know what they're talking about. And maybe this is a point, Tom, that we can cover quickly before we move on to some of these short fire questions is I think your point as well in that original LinkedIn post was procurement aren't the experts in these various categories in both indirect or direct procurement, but the end user, your colleagues that are maybe sat across the office from you or a Zoom call away, they have deep expertise in some of these areas. And we really need to lean on that, let them use that and flourish it. And we're there to support them with risk management and that's kind of your view there right yeah yeah do you know that's really important as well when 
apply that to where I currently work, Bibby Financial Services, because I hadn't worked in an invoice finance kind of environment before. And to be honest, we were operating quite a niche market with niche supplier options. So I am absolutely reliant on the expertise of the technology team, for example. I'm going through a process at the moment, for sure. I'm kind of thinking, well, there's only two or three very valid options in the market. And I'm kind of reliant on the expertise of the technology team to be able to tell me who those people are and to be able to advise in terms of what the key elements that we need to be evaluating. And that's fine for me. I'm okay with that. I don't need to have full control. I trust the experts. The experts are in the function. What they trust me with is the ability to be able to layer in a good evaluation process and then be able to make sure that we mitigate risks through things like looking at reviewing the contracts and making sure that we've got the best commercial deal. So it's that symbiotic relationship where you work with each other. There's someone said something to me once again, harping back to earlier in my career about the tribe approach. And if you get people to be using their true skill set and expertise in the right way, then that's where you get a really truly motivated business. And I think I know where my skill set is. And it's about making sure that you've got the tribes in the right places to be able to do what you need to do. So I think it's a fundamental, Daniel. Yeah, I really am. I feel like I've heard that tribe approach before. I'm not sure where, but yeah, I need to reread it. Yeah, I'll do some digging and include something in the show notes, if possible. No, really good points, Tom. Maybe for transparency, when we were talking about this, we thought that we may <laughs> run into a bit more conflict. But I think based on what you're saying here, I think it's like a really good approach to sourcing and just the evolving role of procurement in organizations. More importantly, we've kind of, I know we've focused in on sourcing, but what we're actually talking about is almost the entire approach of procurement. And it's not just in the sourcing because you set up the sourcing, right? You have those good relationships internally you're going to get a better contract, a better deal with these suppliers, you're going to be able to manage it better. Those relationships, I know you're talking about your maturity curve in terms of the structure of your team. I think it's all really nice stuff to hear. I think you're in a really nice position to be able to like go into an organization that greenfield procurement roles, they're really hard to come across, right? But if you manage to get one and you can build something, I think it's the best thing. The great thing is, well, podcast is called reimagine but you can reimagine procurement within that organization and you can adapt it that's a really good point yeah just within the org right like because you'll find that the organization has no approach or it has a bits of procurement or bits of sourcing and it may not be it's not by a procurement expert like yourself whoever's in right and that's where you can really come in and take that away from them and help them with it and let them flourish like you said with their subject matter expertise the one thing I'm disappointed about is I'd love to find something that we vehemently disagree with because I think it'd be brilliant to have an argument with, but we've yet to find it and then we'll come back on the pod. We'll do another one. We'll have to find a topic. I think procurement is changing. We are moving from a 1970s to 1990s model that has been prevalent, which is a fundamental focus on sourcing. And But this is maybe a hot topic. Whenever we mention savings, a lot of people come through in any of the content we produce. Savings is fundamental. And I don't disagree with that at all. I just want to put that on the record that I think savings is an important function of procurement in our role. Of course it is. It's just not the only one. It's just not the only one. And I think the methodology, let's call it that you've been sharing in this episode, will enable those savings in some way or another, whether it's reduced risk or better quality, you're going to have less cost this total cost of ownership piece is really important to consider. But yeah, disappointed that we couldn't disagree on too much. I've asked a couple of questions just to prompt you a little bit more. But Tom, I just want to quickly dive into four questions that we ask every single guest. Just a, super interested to see 
how you're doing things. How many contracts are you actively managing at present? Great question on active, because I mentioned earlier on about supplier relationship management, and we've identified probably there's five that we're actively managing from a point of view of the typical supplier relationship management, where you're doing your quarterly reviews, you're checking the KPIs, SLAs, etc. We've got the number of contracts is in the low hundreds in terms of what we actually identify as important contracts within the business, so above a certain value. and. I guess as the scope of the role and the team grows, then we will be looking to proactively manage more. The other thing I just wanted to add to that point is at the moment as a business, we're actually, we're making some significant investments in different countries. And that's exciting, but actually what that's bringing on is new contracts, if that makes sense. The whole landscape of the contract management is changing and actually a big part of my focus is on those new portfolio investments at the moment, which will lead to a different landscape in terms of the overall management. Yeah, that's exciting though, right? Like almost moving to a global contract management need. It's a tough one for sure, but an exciting one. Maybe just to follow up on that previous question, how many vendors manage it? Your answer may be the same, right? Like I'm always interested to see the approach here. Yeah, it's not dissimilar at all. To be honest, I see contract management and vendor management as kind of one of the same thing, if that makes sense. So I think that the honest answer is at the moment, we're developing a supplier relationship management framework this year and I haven't yet defined what that's going to look like from a structure point of view because we've kind of evolved. We've got the contract control now. We've got the kind of contract database. We know exactly what our key suppliers are. We've got everything under control from a point of view. We've got an activity plan. What we haven't yet defined and what's part of our strategic plan for this year is what does supplier relationship management look like? What does that look like in terms of contract control, contract reviews, quarterly reviews, that type of thing? And then what resource do we need to deliver that? At the moment, we're so hands-on dealing with BAU activity and also new investments that we've almost not been able to take a pause and say, okay, but what does good contract control look like? So, It's a common issue, right? Like with every scaling team. And I think the feedback I get from listeners on this is like they message me and say, oh, it's not just me or just us that are in this position. And I imagine there's probably a lot of other people listening in that struggling or just trying to figure this piece out. Like, how do we work on improving the team whilst handling all of our business as usual and new initiatives that we need to support the business? Like, yeah, that's great. And Tom, one piece of tech that you can't live without and there's kind of a procurement spin on it, but it could be around your content. It could be around your your day-to-day work, hardware, software. Oh, I was going to make it personal. You can make it personal. Go. Yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, my aftershocks. So just for people listening, these are headphones for running, I assume. Uh, yeah, they're like bone conducting headphones. They're brilliant. So why they're brilliant is because they're completely light, so you can't feel them on your ears. You have an ability to run or walk, but still hear traffic. So there's something about the technology, which means... It's a vibration, right? Through the bone. Is that of the ear or something? Yes, there's something about the technology that works. But I guess related to what your question about work, my life as a procurement influencer as well, um, I get a lot of my inspiration from podcasts. And one of the things I read at the start of this year was Atomic Habits by James Clear. And it was all about that habit stacking. And you may not necessarily want to go for a run or you may not want to go for a walk. But if you stack that with, oh, but I do want to listen to a podcast. And so I combine the two. Makes it so much easier, right? And when you asked that question, my initial thought was, okay, what one bit of tech do I panic if I can't find? And it's always these. It's that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
Tom, I'm the same with these headphones that I'm wearing right now. These are, they block the whole world out and I can just think at times or just listen to something, go for a run or a walk. Mine do block out traffic, so it makes it way more dangerous, which is why I run on the trails, but there's no one else. That's a really good one. And um, last one here, weird question. I'm a procurement genie. You have one wish. What would your procurement wish be? Oh my goodness, that's a good question. I'd really like to drop the old school mentality for good. I'd almost like, I see it as almost there's two schools of procurement. And I'd almost like a way that we could separate ourselves from the old school process, bureaucratic, completely savings driven, hard negotiator mindset to the collaborative, future thinking, strategic thinkers. I'd almost love there to be procurement reimagined. What I mean by that is I'd like there to be almost a new title for procurement, if that makes sense, in terms of what we are. Yeah, that's a really good point, by the way, on I've been doing a lot of thinking about, is procurement even the right word for what we do? And it's super interesting, Tom. I'm with you. Yeah, I don't, that's not the crispest answer because there's no one easy thing that needs to happen on that. I do think procurement has become bogged down by its association with some really poor practice or some really old school practice that we just need to get rid of. So it's back to that procurement dinosaurs piece, really, Daniel, which we'll always agree on. I just think we just need to find a way to separate ourselves and do things better. So, Just maybe I'll add one little anecdote. When I joined 10X, which was my last role as to head up contract management there, I asked the question, why is this team not called procurement? And they were like, it has awful connotations with everyone in the tech space. As soon as they hear procurement, they think bureaucracy, slowness, cost savings. And whilst that might be needed, it just means that people won't want to work with you. So we were called supplier management to start with. I was like, oh, that's a really cool way to think about it. So I think there's more people thinking about the name of their team and then the roles within those teams. So it's a, it's a good wish. Tom, thanks so much for your time, for jumping on and talking about the differences of approaches and sourcing. I always find it super interesting in this space. So thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Procurement Reimagined is brought to you by Gatekeeper. To find out more about Gatekeeper and how our vendor and contract lifecycle management solution is delivering visibility, control, and compliance to our customers, visit www.gatekeeperhq.com. And then make sure to search for Procurement Reimagined in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Gatekeeper, thanks for listening.